Join us in a world where you're listening to Ballistic Radio. Sit back as we discuss hard lessons from the best and brightest the personal defense and competition shooting industry has to offer. Let us help you help yourself, no matter where you are on your personal path. Ballistic Radio is brought to you by Centurion Arms. Hard-use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. Now here's your host, John Johnson. Welcome to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Centurion Arms, hard-use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. I'm your host, John Johnston. Remember, you can always listen to past shows at ballisticradio.com. Get the latest behind-the-scenes info, arguments, photos, other stuff, and things. And I just realized that there was an and that was supposed to be in between these. And I'm going to say it now, and... And through the magic of radio, we won't do anything at all to fix it. And this will just be this long, rambling introduction that people are rolling their eyes at. And they can tell me about it at Facebook.com slash Ballistic Radio. Do you like that, Joe? So pretty much like every other intro we yeah, do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know. So, see, people think this is accidental. And it's no. not. It is, it is a carefully crafted character that I have created for everyone's amusement in actuality, I'm incredibly organized, and you know there aren't squirrels running through my mind at every single second at all. You break that fourth wall. Mm, yeah, the thing I said is not true, but anyway. Hey, guess what? What's that? This segment's also brought to you by Centurion Arms. Even if you're just a cook, a lowly, lowly cook. Or you call in tactical nukes from your couch every night with ease. You need to know that your life-saving equipment is going to work. And Centurion Arms knows it too. Veteran-owned and operated Centurion Arms is dedicated to producing firearms, parts, and accessories with an outstanding level of quality, functionality, and precision at prices you can afford. Whether you just need a new rail or a barrel or something else to finish off your latest build, or maybe you just want to take all the guesswork out and buy a complete rifle, Centurion Arms has got what you need and knows that when you need it, you need it to work. Visit centurionarms.com today to check out all their awesome products. Centurion Arms, hard use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. So I am super excited that we're going to have somebody new on the show. Eric Pekeser from QSI Training. Eric, how's it going, man? Great, thanks. Thanks for having me on. No, definitely, dude. Um, you know, I've gotten to spend some time with you um, in in a couple of different classes and just uh, have heard amazing things about you from other people that have gone to your classes. And we've had really interesting conversation. I thought that instead of doing that in person where it only benefits you and I, we could perhaps do that on the show. Um, so for those that don't know, who are you, what do you do, where do you do it at, and, and we'll just hop right in. Sure. Uh, my name is Eric Bekeiser, and I am the principal uh, instructor for QSI Training. We're based out of, out of Minnesota, and uh, we do a full spectrum of self-defense training to include uh, force on force, firearms, uh, de-escalation, conflict avoidance, and emergency medical training. Uh, when we've, we're, our goal is to provide as much training as possible to our audience uh, to kind of cover all the bases for self-defense. Uh, you know, one of our core beliefs is that self-defense is a 
it's a broad spectrum of things. It's not just knowing how to shoot a gun. It's a number of other skills that all need to be integrated together. And so that's kind of our base philosophy. That's kind of what we operate around is that idea. Uh, I also have a day job. I work for the state of Minnesota as an emergency manager, and I've been in the emergency management the law enforcement business for a little over 30 years now. And that's the uh, short background. Well, hey, that works. It gives people a, a pretty, pretty solid, at least, uh, foundation for where you're probably coming from with stuff. Now, the thing that I kind of want to talk about today, and this is sort of uh, of the positive feedbacks that that I've heard about you. So you run amazing force on force classes. For for those that don't know, um, I'm just I'm just going to start at a base level of of knowledge. What is force on force and why would we want to do it? So the force on force is best defined as a simulation training. Uh, It's a, when I, when you go on a shooting range, uh, there's a number of factors that make the experience artificial. uh, When we're talking about the context of a self-defense encounter. Uh, For example, we're shooting at targets. We're not shooting at an active animated uh, opponent uh, we can simulate some of that with moving targets and 3D targets, but we really can't simulate uh, random, unexpected responses from the target. We also, uh, the, the, another thing that makes shooting ranges very artificial is you know when you're on a shooting range that you're going to draw and fire a gun. Yeah. Uh, when you get the command, when you get the command, whether it's auditory or a visual command to draw and shoot, you really you're like a you're like a you're like a top field dragster. You're sitting at the starting gate. You're watching this. You're watching the lights, waiting them for them to turn green, and you know you're going to stop on the gas pedal when that happens. Right. A real self defense encounter is not like that. What happens is in a real self defense encounter is you leave your house on a perfectly normal day, and you're thinking about what you're going to have for lunch, and then something happens, usually very quickly. It places you in a life or death situation where you have to make split second decisions. And that is what we're trying to simulate in force on force. There's so much more to self-defense than just pulling a trigger. You have to be able to identify danger. You have to be able to manage contacts with people, both friendly people, hostile people, unknown contacts. You have to be able to recognize danger and react to it accordingly. You have to choose proper proper and proportional methods and tactics to disengage. And uh, you have to manage the aftermath of the incident as well. And so our force-on-force scenarios try and take the student through that entire process. And what we're really evaluating is not just, not just a, a practical skill like being able to draw and fire a gun. We're evaluating the student's decision-making process uh, in addition to the, the tactics and the, and the techniques that they use. And that's really the key thing is in force on force, you get to, you get to make decisions uh, in, a, in, a, in a realistic simulated environment that in real life would have mind, life-changing effects. Yeah. But, in, but in this environment, you get to make those decisions uh, and, with a, and, and, and see, how they, see how they pan out and... Um, it's just like, uh, you know, we always talk about uh, you don't want to get, you want to learn your mistakes, you want to make your mistakes in a training environment. You don't want to make your mistakes in real life. Force on force, you get to do stuff in a training environment that in real life would be life-changing. Yeah. Uh, and that's really the idea behind it. It's the closest thing we can get you to a real self-defense encounter. 
Well, and and to be clear too, so because I know there are going to be some people listening to this that um, are are going to insert something into this that you did not say, and I know for a fact that you don't advocate uh, because you know we've spent some time together. You're not saying that the trigger pulling aspect is not important, and you're not saying that. No. And and you're not saying that achieving a high level of skill isn't important. You're just saying they're different things, right? Absolutely, yeah. Those skills are important, but just as important is knowing when to use them and when not to use them and having alternatives to using them. You know, Claude Werner talks about negative outcomes in self-defense scenarios. And uh, when I read about negative outcome incidents, uh, I often say I often see, uh, 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 almost always see, a situation where a force on if that person had had some force on force training, that scenario might have had a completely different outcome, a positive outcome instead of a negative outcome. Right. A good example I'll give you is um, a, a terrifying number of people carry a firearm, uh, but don't carry any intermediate self defense tools. So like they go from, like Chuck Haggard says, they go from the harsh word to the gun. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we all know that there's a, lot of, there's a lot of tools, there's a lot of options between those two things. But how many times have you heard of a negative outcome case that could have been resolved with pepper spray, could have been resolved with some empty hand, or, uh, some empty hand techniques, uh, or going back a little further, stepping outside the tool area into the... Uh, well, you could argue that uh, uh, that disengagement is a tool. Uh, stepping in the area of disengagement, just good disengagement, good monitoring unknown contacts or di- disengagement skills. And those are the skills we really are looking to, to, to put into a force-on-force class is, or I shouldn't say class, a force-on-force experience, yeah. is, is a, um, an understanding of all the options that you have and how to rapidly identify which option is the best option, and, and and get it into play, so you can disengage and get on with your day, and not have to spend you know the next the rest of your life dealing with the outcome of a self defense uh, shooting. That's really the idea behind it is getting getting people into the mindset of knowing the options that they have, and being able to plug those options in, figuring out where those options would be appropriate or inappropriate. But the skills are absolutely key. Um, in a force-on-force environment, we simulate everything because we can't really shoot people, right? Um, we, uh, we, uh, we simulate that. And so uh, you're, you're still doing the same skills. You're still drawing a gun. You're still having to, you're still having to bring the gun up and shoot accurately and quickly. Uh, if you're using uh, other methods, uh, you know, if you're using uh, – we use training knives. We use training pepper spray analog. We do a limited amount of physical contact, and so in in those cases, that that all needs to be done properly as well. And people discover things in force on force classes they don't discover on the range. Like uh, one thing I see happen a lot is people wear one thing to the range and another thing every day. Yeah. And so when they get into a force on force environment wearing their street clothes. All of a sudden, that draw is not as smooth as it is underneath the range vest. Uh, or they uh, they carry their pepper spray, you know, in in the bottom of a pocket that's velcroed shut, and they realize that they can't get to that very quickly and easily. And so that's a good experience too, uh, is to kind of implement the real world into that, 
and uh, put people in that real world range without putting them in actual physical, physical, financial, social, psychological danger. Right. And and I sort of have a question about everything, but we've got to go to break. So I will. You bet. I, I, I will get to it in a second. Right now, we're talking with Eric Pekeser from QSI Training. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Centurion Arms, hard-use rifles and accessories at Easy Day Prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. This segment brought to you by Wilson Combat. Wilson Combat, makers of the finest custom 1911s and scatterguns since 1977, a legacy of quality, innovation, and service. Learn more about their firearms and accessories as well as the EDC X series of firearms, which offers discriminating shooters 1911 match-grade accuracy, superior ergonomics, and concealability with modern service pistol capacity as well as reliability at www.wilsoncombat.com. So we're talking with Eric Pekeser from QSI Training, and sort of there are a couple of directions that I want to go with this. But it seems to me that one of the greatest values of force-on-force training or pretty much anything, um, you know, that involves what Craig Douglas would call uh, opposing wills is understanding that these events suck. Yes. Um, would, would, would you, do, you, do you mind expanding on that? Sure. Well, there's a few, there's a, there's quite a few stressful moments in a force-on-force class, and you know one of the things I always say when I when I'm introducing my, uh, when I'm in, initially engaging with the participants in force-on-force, one of the things we talk about is why wouldn't anybody do this? And the reason people, I think one of the reasons why people don't want to do force-on-force is because uh, they're afraid they're going to screw it up, and uh, anyone that's taken a really hard class like ECQC, for example, knows that under, or should understand the value of failure in training. Yeah. Uh, my friend John Farnham says, you always fail magnificently. Don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid of anything. Mm-hmm. And when we, when we go into a force-on-force environment, sometimes they go well, but oftentimes people really screw the pooch. And that's actually good. Yeah. Because we want to make mistakes. There's, there's, it's good for two reasons. One is you're actually, you, you learn stuff when things go wrong. If everything goes perfect for you, you don't learn very much. Uh, learning happens at the point of failure. So we shouldn't be afraid to make mistakes when we're in trading. And the second thing is um, you really start to, you, you understand not just like what works and what doesn't, but how you react to failure is important too. Yeah. And we see people get very overwhelmed in a force-on-force scenario. Um, and we have some – I have a whole section when I talk about force-on-force of what, that we call unexpected, unexpected uh, outcomes, where we have students do stuff we never thought that anybody would do. Uh, I'll give you examples. And, and most of these things are foreseeable, but they're just things I didn't think I'd see in a force-on-force environment. I'll give you an example. I had a student um, – uh, the scenario was a, a convenience store um, disturbance. It actually wasn't a robbery. It was like a shoplifter. And um, the student decided to get involved in the incident. So we have decision point right there uh, in the scenario. The students, the students always have the option to say, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to play this game. I'm going to disengage immediately and not participate in this, in this mess, which is actually a pretty good outcome mm-hmm. if you think about it. 
Um, we don't do that in every scenario. So we we do we do script the scenarios to steer the student towards uh, towards the event uh, because if someone disengages everything they do, they don't they still don't learn a lot. But we uh, this particular scenario was one the student could have easily disengaged from, and instead they chose to engage with this guy, and the guy produced a weapon. The student drew their own weapon and was holding this guy at gunpoint, and. This is and this is a student who had never done any other training with me. They had done training with other organizations and then come to the force on force class. It was interesting to watch the student attempt to use things that they'd been taught by somebody that aren't going to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, the use of magic words: "I'm in fear for my life." "I'm in fear for my life." Um, so that doesn't have yeah that doesn't that doesn't change the outcome. That well, actually, if anything, it'll make things worse. Yeah. Uh, but then the interesting thing that happened was that when the when our bad guy role player refused to disengage, the student launched into this like Joe Friday dragnet speech about uh, crime and criminality, and while well, he's holding this guy at gunpoint, by the way, okay. <laughs> you know, you come into our town and you steal things and you got no respect for anybody, and I was just like, whoa, 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 and so. Uh, we let the scenario play out a little bit and we stopped the scenario. And when we did our after action, we talked a little bit about that, about how bystanders would have reacted in court to repeating, you know, would you, would you want what you said repeated in court if you had shot this guy? Probably not. Uh, yeah. And then the other question of uh, a lot of people, they'll get training on how to shoot a gun, but they don't have any idea what they're going to do if they draw the gun and the bad guy's not impressed by it. Yeah. And so getting people in that, and I've, I've got videos, um, I've got videos out on, I've, I've picked up from different, uh, John Korea has got a few examples, but I've, got, I've seen some other videos as well, where people have drawn guns, usually in situations where it's not appropriate, and then the bad guy is not impressed. Yeah. And, and the person just runs into a brick wall. They're just like, well, what do I do? I can't shoot him, but I got a gun out, and they're not doing what I tell them to do. What do I do? And so having people experience that in force on force rather than in real life is really, really valuable because we could put them in that situation and it just breaks through that Dunning-Kruger. Uh, it, it's, uh, they're like, oh, my God, this is something I never thought about. It's something I never expected. And so shattering these myths about self-defense and about self-defense encounters and about interpersonal violence is, is a big part of force on force as well. When, and we have some students that doesn't happen to. I mean, everything goes great for them. They've got some training. They use good skills. Um, and what we do with those is we ratchet up the scenarios, try and make them a little more challenging, a little more complex. But it, the, 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 the learning is so powerful to watch. It's just really something. And, and there are two things that you said that I sort of want to address, and I'll go in reverse order. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sure. Tom Gibbons talks a lot about um, – if if you're going to draw a firearm on someone, uh, doing that very well is one of the things that is most likely to, if it's going to defuse a situation, there's a big difference between somebody fumbling a gun out and mm-hmm. somebody making a gun appear as if by magic. Um, yes. You know, and in... You know, in my in my experience, the latter um, can be rather effective uh, it, when when justified and when ap- applied properly. You know, and Mass Ayub talks about that as well. 
uh, you know, some someone the resolute defender, right? The the yeah. other thing you said though, and this one I'd actually like to talk about a little bit, is people don't come to force on tours because they're scared they're going to mess it up. And that's very true. And the part of that that strikes me is, well, I'm scared I'm going to mess this up. So instead of going and practicing it, I'll just wait until I have to do it for real <laughs> with real life consequences and no no do overs or taxi backsies. And do you think that's problematic, Eric? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's obviously problematic. Uh, and it comes down to I think there's a lot of people out there. Uh, there's too many people out there that carry firearms for self-defense that really just do not have adequate training and adequate training goes be and, and, and I think you, you kind of get two groups of people. You get people who think that shooting the gun is all they need to know. And then you get people that, uh, um, that literally don't know anything at all. They just own the gun. You know, uh, it's the, the, the Cooper saying, you know, owning a guitar does not make you a musician. Mm-hmm. Uh, They've they've got this, and and you know a guitar. You know, I, I'm a I'm a guitar player, and I talk about I, I've I've had an interesting experience with guitars over the past you know, two years now, a little over a year now. I have been learning to play guitar, and it's one of the first times in my life I've tried to learn a new skill I knew literally nothing about. And so it's um, it's 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 a really interesting experience for me as a teacher, as an instructor. Um, but people have a mental image of what it's like to be in a self-defense encounter. You know, like I, I had a mental image about what it would be like to play a guitar. People have a mental image about what a self-defense encounter is like. And where that mental image comes from, right or wrong, is the enter- entertainment. Mm-hmm. When, when people don't get formal instruction on something, they, they pick up their knowledge from the movies and TV that they watch. And so they, in their head, they've got, you know, and they, there's studies done that say, you know, the average person sees X number of, you know, crimes committed, X number of violent acts on movies and TV. And I'm not going to I'm, I'm not going to comment on the psychological effect of that, but let's just talk about how that affects people's belief about self-defense encounters. People have this mental fantasy, and it is a fantasy because this fantasy is by definition something that's not true. People have this mental fantasy of what a self-defense encounter is going to be like. And when you plug that into a a force-on-force scenario that's based on real events, real outcomes, real incidents, and the realities of interpersonal violence, it doesn't work. And so you see that um, it's – we usually see at least one – at least every student – when they come to force on force, they've got an idea how things are going to go and they don't go that way. Uh, and what's interesting is I don't know what the student thinks is going to happen when they go into the scenario, but it almost never goes the way they want it to. And I think that's kind of an interesting thing, but there's, but I think that people, the people have this idea in their head about how this is going to go. And they're just confident that that's the truth. And they're not willing. There's a subconscious, um, they're not, they're not willing to take the risk to understand that that's not right or that there's more work that needs to be done, and they got to put in more work. Right. Um, uh, let, let, let me interrupt because we have to go to break, and, and I'd actually – I'd like to kind of address that uh, using just sort of like a personal observation for me. Uh, but we'll do that after the break. Right now we're talking with Eric Pekeser from QSI Training. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. 
Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Centurion Arms, hard-use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. This segment brought to you by BigTexOutdoors.com. BigTexOutdoors.com is the best place for you to find all of your everyday carry needs at the absolute best prices. Maybe you need all the lumens from ModLite at the lowest price? No problem. Spend too much time alone in your room and need an RMR on your carry gun now? Well, BigTexOutdoors.com has those, and they don't judge. Glock accessories, yes, fast, cheap shipping, 100% hassle-free returns, all that and more. And best of all, BigTexOutdoors.com has Ike. He's a good man and thorough. I like Ike. Everybody likes Ike, and you'll like Ike, too. Visit BigTexOutdoors.com today and find out what happens when every customer is a friend, not just an order. So we're talking with Eric Pekeser from QSI Training. Um, and, you know, so you were, you were talking about how people have an idea of how a self-defense encounter is going to go. And I'm going to use like a meandering example from my, my life, um, to just sort of illustrate like a broader, um, issue. I think that, that is sort of in all of this and, and, you know, have you talk about it and, and see what you think. Um, so one of the things that I've noticed in my life is the things that cause the absolute most consternation for me, like personally, is when I have an idea of what I think should be going on or how I think it should be going on, and then I find myself in that situation and it's not going the way I think it should or the way I want it to or the way that whatever. And having that, having that sort of model in my head where it's supposed to be going like this and it's not causes a lot of problems for me. Um, at least historically. And I have found that, you know, and, and I'm saying just globally, but we can take this into shooting as well. I, I have found that when I am just, you know, as, as Bruce Lee would have said, be like water, you know, like form without form, um, that that tends to go a little bit better. And do you think that, you know, the the key to success in all this is just being able to effectively process information as it comes in and then respond to it accordingly. And and when I went, I'm being very specific, respond to it accordingly, not react to it. What what are your thoughts? Oh, absolutely. And I think that that's really what force on force does for people is it it helps them learn how to do that. Um, We, uh, we always talk about being able to recognize the danger and respond to it appropriately and it's more than just that. It's 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 also being able to have, being able to redirect if something doesn't work. Um, the uh, that's that's very important. Now, what we see happen is is in force on force is people tend to develop a sort of a more. They, people usually have a very simple decision making tree. Um, and you know, you take someone with very little training, their decision tree is usually like, you know, identify danger, draw a gun, don't draw a gun. Uh, when people take force on force classes and scenarios and experience these different things, that decision tree becomes more complex and by having more options available, they can flow like water, as as you said. Yeah. Well, as I repeat it, I, I never I never said it originally. But um <laughs> credit where credit is due. Yes. Um, credit to Bruce Lee. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let me think about this for a second, and then then I will want to make sure I say this in a way that makes sense. 
it seems like, you know, so you're talking about like an integrated approach. I know that when John Hearn and I have spoken, we, we, I, I guess between the both of us, at least he says so that we, we termed the holistic approach to self-defense, but yes, the, the, the thing that, um, you know, the multi multidisciplinary approach, whatever, whatever it is, but being, uh, at a pretty high level of proficiency in more than one aspect to everything seems to allow people the space to sort of not thrive in these environments, but get through them a little bit better as far as the decisions that they ultimately make. There's a confidence that comes from proficiency. You know, Greg Ellifritz talks about a lot about, um, and hopefully more now that he's retired, talks a lot about the deficiencies in police training and how a lot of police shootings are, uh, police use of force incidents, not just shootings, tend to be more of a fear bite reaction than actual control. Yeah. And, and, and we know, like, we look at these, as people who have training, people who have experience, we look at these situations and we know that we can handle certain situations. We know what our capabilities are. Uh, we don't have an unrealistic vision of what our capabilities are. And so if we see something that's something that we've we've done training on and it's a situation we know we can resolve with the with this with the skill and the equipment and, and the conditioning that we have, we have a lot more confidence to approach that problem. Yeah. You know, it's just like any other skill. If I'm looking at a fuse box and I don't know anything about electricity, it looks pretty daunting. But if I've you know, if I'm a if I'm an experienced electrician confident in my skill i look at that fuse box i'm like oh yeah, i can fix that yeah well and, and that's that's the thing and self-defense is the same way well and and the example i use and you've heard me use it twice now um i i kind of like to look at this as far as you know the the example that i use is if the batteries in your remote went out the level of concern <laughs> you would have over that um, yeah. you, would, you wouldn't have any it's like oh the batteries are out i need to replace the batteries i'm just going to do that and that in my mind, is the absolute best place for us to be when we're responding um, responding to anything that's going on in front of us because anywhere else, if emotions start to come into this, that they don't help in these situations, would, would you say? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. When I, I have been in, you know, in my law enforcement career, I've been in a number of use of force situations. And the better I got at, at the better I got, and the more experience, the better I got at technique, the more training I did, the more calm I was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. When I was a 19 year old MP, I did stupid stuff. Right. Uh, you know, I look back and go, man, I can't believe I'm still alive. You know. Uh, but when I, you know, when I got got you know a little older and wiser and had a lot more training under my belt, I could, you know, you walk into a situation, it, it's. You know, to be blunt, it's just, I know I can take this guy. You know, you walk into the situation, you're like, I can take this guy. I can handle this guy. You're going to have a lot more confidence in dealing with that situation, and that confidence is going to bleed over into um, an ability to de-escalate and disengage. It's not going to be there if you don't have that confidence. Now, I'm not saying that you're always going to be able to de-escalate and disengage. I mean, at the end of the day, that only works if the other person also wants to back down. Right. Uh, and some people don't want that. Right. But if you if you have that confidence, 
you're going to rather than falling back on a on a magical tool, a magic wand, uh, if you have that confidence to navigate that that scenario, you can walk you can come out of it on the other side most of the time a lot better off than if you just fall back on something or panic or or you get really scared and uh, you know overreact or the other thing we see a lot is underreacting a lot of I always say say in force on force class I always see students usually do one of two things in this class they either shoot the wrong person or they don't shoot somebody or they either shoot someone who shouldn't be shot or they sh- don't shoot someone who should be shot we see those two things a lot and a lot of uh, you wouldn't believe the number of people that in obvious situations where it's obviously warranted obviously justified and obviously necessary they still won't draw their gun even in a simulation well so what i had a, well, I, I was going to say is so you're using the word obviously and and that's something that i think people miss is it's obvious to you because of the amount of information that you have and the amount true. of training that you have whereas for a lot of people, the the thing that I run into the most is people don't understand use of force. Like don't yes don't understand it. And you have to understand it to a pretty deep level to be able to make snap decisions on it, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah. Knowing I I, I worked with an instructor once who said that that deadly force was like obscenity. It was like the obscenity definition the Supreme Court used in a famous ruling. They said, I can't describe it, but I know it when I see it. And I heard someone once say that about deadly force. I can't describe it, but I know it when I see it. And I, I that's di- not always true. Yeah, I disagree <laughs> with that statement. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's well, maybe, I don't know. I'd need to think about that a little bit more. I, I think I know what they're trying to, to say there, but, you know. Yeah, I, I agree, too. I, I, and that's a, but the thing about it is people have an idea about deadly force. They're envisioning a gun. They're envisioning a knife, um, but when you start to introduce objects that aren't weapons that are being used as weapons, for example, a hammer, uh, you have someone picks up a hammer, yeah. or someone, um, or you have multiple attackers mm-hmm. uh, that surround somebody. Uh, unless people have really looked at these cases and looked at the and, and thought about the potential outcomes in these situations. The uh, they 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 oftentimes aren't confronted by these thoughts until they get into a force on force environment. And like I could do, I could run the exact same scenario. One scenario, the person's holding a knife, and the other scenario, the person's holding a hammer, and I could get different reactions. Which is, and that's an interesting thing. Yeah, it really is because, like you know, if you put me in that scenario, they're the same thing in my mind. Uh, in, in it, my mind too. Yeah, um, we we got to go to break, and then I sort of want to. Um, I have a question. Uh, I always have questions, but right, sure. right, right now we're talking with Eric Pekiser from QSI Training. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Centurion Arms, hard use rifles and accessories at. Easy day prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. So we're talking with Eric Pekiser from QSI Training about force on force and, you know, your observations from running a lot of students through force on force. Um, And we, before the break, we were talking about how you and I would see 
you know, the difference be between like a hammer and a knife in someone's hand that, you know, that someone is acting aggressive. They're the same thing to both of us. But, but why do you, why do you think that that's not always the case with some of the students that you see run through this? Is this just like a matter of they haven't considered it beforehand? I actually would say they're overthinking. Uh, self-defense, I mean, there's a number of legal elements to self-defense, and they vary from state to state. Uh, you know, Andrew Brock has a great book on the subject where he lays out general elements that apply in basically all states. And uh, but one of the things one of the things that we talk about in, in self-defense from a legal perspective a lot is this concept of jeopardy. And uh, the way I break it down is, you know, the bad guy has to want to hurt you. The bad guy has to have the capability to hurt you. And they have to have a way to get from to get that hurt to you. Uh, that's a, a, a gross simplification of the, of the concept of jeopardy. Sure. You know, example is bad guy has intent, wants to harm you. Bad guy has a knife. Bad guy can get to you, you know, in a, in a, you know, very quickly with the knife and stab and stab you with it. Um, that's a, that's an ex- example. Mm-hmm. But, but you'll notice that the, that the, when we say the means to hurt you, that's not specifically defined. And I think a lot of people have, a, a hard time wrapping their head around the idea that they're 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 because they're focused on the gun as a self defense tool they're focused on a gun as a self defense as 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 the criminal's weapon as well and so I don't think that people think out um that's that sort of thing and what'll happen is we'll we'll create a scenario where the person will be threatened by something that isn't obviously a weapon and uh and and the person you could watch the person saying i feel like in their head they're saying i feel reasonable fear right now but i don't know why so i'm going to leave my gun in the holster like you can hear them you could almost hear them saying that in their head and one of the things that i i see happen a lot is been you know and 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 my, my dear departed friend william april who i will miss so much uh, used to say, uh, you can't take your values and put them on somebody else. That's a very dangerous thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I'll often see people try and justify their inaction by trying to explain what they thought the bad guy's intent was. And that's an interesting thing to see, too. Uh, they're They're making life and death decisions based on something that they not only can they not know, but is being but but the person's behavior is displaying just the opposite. Oh, he only wants to do this. Uh, and that's that's an interesting thing to see too. But I think it comes down to a, a a lack of commitment and a lack of confidence and skill. Uh they they if 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 they they see a threat, they will they they see a threat and they're just like I'm just not sure I'm not sure I'm not sure and that's that's why these experiences are valuable is because it helps people understand what this stuff looks like you know when I was an EMT uh, I had all these ideas for what a heart attack patient looked like mm-hmm. uh, because in my head a heart attack patient is recessive ante right they're laying on the ground they're unconscious they're not they're unconscious you know they're not responsive the first ambulance call I went on with a heart attack. Was the guy answered the door with a cigarette in his hand, 
and say, yeah, I'm having a heart attack. This is my third one. I know, I know what's going, you know, so I know yeah. I'm having a heart attack. And it's just so weird for me that, you know, in my head, I was expecting this unconscious, unresponsive person, but this person, you know, is walking and talking and very casual about the whole thing, actually. So what, the reality of these incidents can be very different than the way people, people picture them. And, you know, I, my idea was I'm going to run in there and I'm going to start CPR and, you know, um, and when I showed up and I had a guy who was just standing there, um, you know, nonchalantly talking to me, I like, I was just like, what do I do with this guy? You know? And, and, and I had a more experienced partner. I was like, okay, I know what we're going to do here, but it was just a, um, like I had never thought, what am I going to do if I show up for that, for that for that heart attack case and the person is not unconscious and they are breathing and they have a pulse. And (laughs) so that's, it's, it's uh, being able to think on your feet and and look at the tools you've got and sort of dial things back and, or ratchet things forward, depending on the situation is, is really important. I want to mention too, I'm talking a lot about how students screw up. The other thing we see is we see students just perform magnificently. And that is really awesome to see as well. Uh, I have students who, uh, the students that do seem to do the best in force on force are always the quietest people. <laughs> hmm. Uh, they don't have, they, they, and, and what I think the reason the, I think what's going on there is they're, they're watching the room. They're, they're reading the room. They're seeing what's going on. So rather than engaging with everything around them, they're just, they're, they're, they're taking in information and processing it. And, they're they they're able to process very quickly, um, and the the one of the things I see that work, seems to work really really well as a strategy, um, and it plays out in force on force. But I think this plays out in real self defense. Is uh, disengagement is um, I can't remember who uh, this is not mine. I got it from somebody else, and their name is escaping me at the moment. But there's an acronym A D E and E: avoid, disengage, escape, and evade. It's kind of an old school thing um, from several years ago, but I, I like it. We avoid trouble. If we get into trouble, we disengage, we escape and evade, right? We disengage and we get away. Yeah. How we disengage, there's a lot of options for that. But the people that are focused on disengaging and escape, you know, the DE and E part, the avoid is easy. It's easy, to, it's easy for people to understand how to avoid trouble. But the disengage, escape and evade, that's a big thing. Where a lot of students blow it is in the post-incident. Uh, they do everything right initially, and then in the post-incident, they hang around too long. They try and hold a bad guy at gunpoint, uh, or when we have the uh, the police response, they 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 say things they shouldn't say or do things they shouldn't do, and that is uh, a very important part of the process. But focusing on that. That disengage, thinking of it as a dis, people think of it as I'm going to win this fight. I would picture it as I'm going to disengage from this fight. And when people start to think like that, I see them, I see them deal with situations much more effectively. Um, let me, we're, we're coming up on the end of the show. Um, what's the most interesting thing that you have seen in all of this? Like just, it could be good, could be bad, but just like what 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 one sticks out in your mind as like oh okay. Um, 
when it's, uh, I've seen students, I, I, the most the most interesting thing I ever saw, um, well, I, I mean, I can't rank them. One of the most interesting things I saw was we had a scenario where a woman was on an elevator. And uh, the scenario, we set the scenario up where she would get on the elevator, and, and we had a real elevator in the building, so we were able to do, you know, use a real live elevator for this. She gets on the elevator, and there's, and and then there's already a guy on the elevator, so the elevator door closes, and I actually have a video of this, and then. And then the idea was another guy will get on at the next floor, and then the two guys will attack her. This is the this is the scenario we would, we we had set up. And what happened was, my role player, the first bad guy, my role player, without without telling him to do this and without being consciously aware of it, began to give off pre-attack indicators, picking and grooming. Uh, he like cracks his neck. Uh, all the stuff that Craig Douglas talks about. Right. And the student saw that. And so when we got to the next floor, when his uh, when his partner got on the elevator, when the door opened for his partner to get on the elevator, she pushed past him and she bailed out. Nice. And I was it was such an unexpected because the the outcome we had expected was the other guy will get on and then the doors will close and there will be a fight. But but she picked up on those pre-assault indicators right away, and she was able to articulate what they were. And we went back and watched the video and saw them. Uh, and my role player did not – he was not like, I'm going to do some pre-assault indicators. He had no intention of doing that. Yeah. But he just did it because, you know, because he, he, we're wired to do it. Yeah, he was getting ready to do an assault. He yeah. Was, he was doing the assault thing. But it was such a it – was, it, was, it was a really – it was just really, really cool to, to watch that happen organically. Like we, we can go into scenarios and we can, we can, I can consciously do stuff. Uh, for the student to pick up on, but to have that happen organically like that was just a really neat thing to to see. Um, we've also seen um, I've also seen some really amazing. Um, the, you know, there's a saying that you can't draw on a drawn gun, and I would say that that can be disproven in a force on force environment if you know what you're doing. Yeah, I would agree with uh, that. There's a, you know, one of the things we talk a lot about is robbery scenarios. There's a robbery in every robbery scenario. There's usually a shift in focus on the part of the bad guy. Um, I just took a class at John Murphy, and he says that the guy shifts from the from the, you know, the domination and control mode to payday mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and being able to spot that moment is important because that's an opportunity to react. That's an opportunity to act. And I've seen students. I have a video. It's on the QSI Facebook page. I have a video of a student. It's a takeover robbery. Two bad guys, and this, they, everyone they tell everybody to get against the wall. The student um, moves to the wall, uh, and then when the bad guy shifts from control to payday mode, my student's able to draw and shoot both of them. Uh, Without without them even knowing it was coming, it was it was a really amazing feat of, um, and and he does a lot of he does everything right. And when you watch someone do everything right in a situation like that, it's just really interesting to see all that training come together and work. It's just a really cool thing to to observe. Right. Hey, one of the things. That, well, I was going to say we're actually at the end of the show. <laughs> okay. So, okay. Uh, if people want to train with you or find out more about you and what you're doing. Where can they do that at? 
Sure. Uh, our website is www.qsitraining.net. Uh, that's Q is in Queen, S is in Sam, I is in Ida, training.net. Uh, we're also on Facebook as QSI Training. We're on Instagram as QSI Training. And um, people can email me, uh, can, people can contact me through the website, through Facebook, uh, or any of those platforms and find out information about us. We're based in Minnesota, but we will travel. And we do have people travel to us as well. Um, we've got a few classes coming up. Uh, for the, uh, we have a few shooting classes coming up over uh, towards the end of what we call our outdoor season because in Minnesota we have snow. Um, yeah, yeah, you do. Uh, yeah, we do, and how, and that can make it difficult to train outside. Uh, but we will, we are looking at getting our force on force classes up and running this fall, or excuse me, this winter and spring, uh, and we're working out our plan for that. With uh, concerns about COVID nineteen and social distancing, we're gonna we're gonna have to make some adjustments. Right. But we're uh, we're dedicated to uh, to getting those classes going because I think it's one of the best things that we do. Yeah. So, Eric, I appreciate you coming on the show today. Um, I appreciate you yeah, in general. You I've I've enjoyed every conversation we've ever had. So. Yeah, me too. All right. right back at you. Hey, be safe, brother. You too. All Thanks right. Yeah, no worries. Hey, make sure you check out our website, BallisticRadio.com, like our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash BallisticRadio. And if you think we've earned it, uh, keep leaving those five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us out. Thanks for listening, everyone. As always, be safe and see you next week.